Let us pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, grant us the strength and consolation of your Holy Spirit to make our decision for Jesus that we may finally beat down Satan under our feet. In the name of the one true and living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. Some, maybe most of you know that I turned 51 years old this past summer, a fact I'm still struggling to come to grips with myself. And over my 51 years, I've come to believe that there are two kinds of people in this world. There are those who like to make the decisions, we call them the deciders of the world perhaps, and there are those who don't. And if you're not sure which category you're in, that may give you a clue as to your answer. Now, I wanna clear up a little misunderstanding about Margie and me that some hold. There are some who think that I'm the decider in the family, and I'm here to tell you that that's simply not true. I have a story to prove it, and yes, I have permission to tell this story, and it's one of my absolute favorites about Margie. Like most of us, Margie likes all kinds of food, Mexican, Italian, Chinese, American, so on and so forth. And I don't know if it's still true, but when we were in high school, we had permission to go off campus for lunch, and it was fantastic. Well, because Margie likes all kinds of food, she didn't want to have to choose just one fast food restaurant. She wanted to be able to get a little something from all of them. And using the God-given charm, influence, and winsome personality we all know that Margie has, she managed to talk her friends into taking her to all of the fast food restaurants on occasion. Taco Bell, Whataburger, maybe an egg roll, and whatever else caught her attention. And so you see, Margie is perfectly capable of making a decision. She decided she wanted everything. Now, before you say anything about that, I ask you, how many of you could pull that off with your friends? It's a unique gift that Margie has, isn't it? Now, let's get serious. Because every one of us has a decision to make that is of infinite consequence. Every one of us has a decision to make that is of infinite consequence. It is the decision we all must make and we all will make concerning Jesus Christ. Recently, we've been preaching from John chapter 6, and in these verses, I've been telling us that Jesus is laying out for us the plan and the path to salvation. What is salvation? What does it mean to be saved? Do I need to be saved? And if so, from what? The answer is yes. Whether a person believes it or not, we all need to be saved. And what is the evidence of that need? None of us. Not one of us can defeat the power of sin in our own lives. And none of us, not one of us, can destroy the power of death. Now, we're all aware of the problems in the world around us. Then again, we've always been aware of them. But if we believe that these problems are simply cultural, political, sociological, economic, racial, then we have made a fundamental mistake these things are not the problem. They're the result of the problem. 
The struggling, the striving, the strife, the rancor, the division, the warfare, the disease, the death we experience in this world is rooted in and therefore the result of the broken relationship we all have with God. And it manifests itself in the ways we mistreat each other politically, economically, racially, socially, and otherwise. To be clear, the root of it all is a spiritual battle. The Bible warns us in no uncertain terms in 1 Peter 5, 8, be watchful, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour, and my friends, right now, he's having a feast, devouring the lives of the unborn, making a mockery of the institution of marriage decimating the family unit with weapons of abuse and abandonment and divorce, enticing our egos with the insatiable lust of fame and fortune and wealth and power, not to mention the narcissism of social media, all while holding us in bondage, bondage to addiction like pornography and drugs and alcohol and gambling, and finally through it all, casting us into that bottomless pit of anxiety and despair and anger and murder and suicide. The Bible calls him the father of lies. The Bible says he has come to kill, to steal, and to destroy. No political party can fix it. We cannot buy our way out of it, and we cannot solve it on our own. There is one answer, and one answer our alone. It is our decision. Who do we say Jesus Christ is, and what are we going to do about it? And everything we've covered so far in John chapter 6 has led us to this point. God revealing himself to us, even becoming like one of us so we can see him, so we can find him, so we can know him. And as he does, Jesus Christ calling us to conversion, appealing to us with his words and by his deeds through his atoning crucifixion and his glorious resurrection to turn away from a life of sin and death and to turn toward him, to place our faith in him, to follow him, receiving his love, his mercy, his grace, his forgiveness, to be freed from our guilt and our shame and open to us the way of everlasting life in him. And then, having become adopted as sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father by baptism, we are forged and fashioned into ambassadors of reconciliation, as Paul says, as warriors for the kingdom of God, given the helmet of salvation, the shield of faith, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and the gospel of peace placed upon our feet that we may go out and fight the good fight. And last week, Father Charles talked with us about communion and community. How feasting on Jesus and with Jesus week after week in the Eucharist is what strengthens us to fight this battle. How staying connected to this community of Christians in study and mission is what empowers us by the Holy Spirit. As we learn to love to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love our neighbor as ourself. 
Indeed, every reading we read this morning is about that decision. Who do you say that Jesus is? And now that you know, what are you going to do about it? How then shall we live? In the Old Testament, Joshua gathers all the leaders of the tribes of Israel. The Israelites had been in bondage to slavery for 400 years in Egypt. 400 years they had been in slavery. And then they wandered another 40 years in the desert because of their disobedience. They knew what it meant to be enslaved and they knew what it meant to be oppressed. And now as they were entering into the land that God had promised them, that land flowing with milk and honey where he would be their God and they would be their people. Joshua, a type and shadow of Jesus himself, stood before them and compelled them to make their decision. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you. So choose, choose this day who you will serve, whether the gods your father served in foreign nations, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And if you've never known it, that's why we have that scripture verse right above those doors as you walk out into the world because that's the decision we make when we leave here every single Sunday. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, a witness to the risen Christ and his own ambassador makes his appeal writing to a fledgling church that he himself had planted in a Gentile land called Ephesus to the Christians living under the impression of a foreign government and their foreign gods. He says, look carefully, look carefully then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because he says the days are evil. Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit of God, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Why? Why would Paul say these things? What if we ran around this world and with each other singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to one another? Why did Paul say that? Because he knows he knows that spiritual warfare is one with worship. Spiritual warfare is one with worship. We Christians beat the devil when we worship God vibrantly and vigorously. Satan cannot stand up under the power of Christians who live out loud for Jesus Christ. And Joshua and Paul writing in view of Jesus and the decision he calls us all to make in today's gospel. I am the bread of life. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life within you. Are you offended at what I, the son of God, am saying? Then what if you saw the son of man ascending to where he was before? It is the spirit who gives life. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no avail at all. And many of his followers did turn back and they no longer followed him. So he turns to the 12, to the ones that he himself had chosen. What about you? Do you wanna go away as well? And in the words of Simon Peter, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have believed and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter said it because he saw it. Not in the flesh, but in the spirit.
spirit, he knew who Jesus was and he made his decision. And my friends, simply put, what was before them is the same thing that's before each of us today. Not just an awareness of the spiritual warfare being waged around them, but also a recognition of the spiritual warfare being waged within them. Not, does someone need Jesus? Do I need Jesus? And in the end, a decision. A willingness to stand in front of our spiritual mirror, each and every one of us, to take stock of our lives and to ask ourselves the question, have I defeated the power of sin in my own life without any help? If we've somehow deluded ourselves into believing we have, then we have another question. Do I have the power to defeat death? I only know one who has that power and it's not me. It's Jesus. So what am I gonna do? Am I in or am I out? Friends, how else can I say it to us? People are desperate for Jesus, even if they don't know it. And the one thing, the only thing that's going to move the needle in this world is a body of believers who have made their decision, stand up, stand out, speak up, speak out, no turning back, no turning back. The ones who actually take the Bible at its word when it says to us, now in all these things, we are more than conquerors for him who loved us. And if our God is for us, who can be against us? Do you believe that? Do you believe that? That's the truth the Bible says to all who take the name of Jesus. You are more than a conqueror, and if God is for you, no one, no thing can be against you, period, paragraph. Because God himself has spoken it over you and by his spirit, he has placed it inside of you. And that's what he wants for each and every one who calls himself a Christian. And here at Christ the Redeemer, we have a vision and we have a goal. And today, after this past year of struggle, it's time to renew it. God is calling us to be a city on a hill here in Southwest Fort Worth, to be a beacon of light, to become a church that plants churches, but as we all know, a vision without a plan is nothing more than wishful thinking. I stole that from my wife too. And so our plan is God's plan, to go and to make disciples of all nations, to look out at the falling and failing systems and structures of this world, and to look into the eyes of our family, friends, and neighbors, and lovingly, gently, persistently call them to Christ. And even then, God's plan requires an action step from each and every one of us. Are you willing, am I willing to completely surrender ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? All of our thoughts, all of our words, all of our deeds, the Bible says, take them captive to Christ. Take them captive to Christ that we may give of our time, our talent, and our treasure, seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, striving to become that salt of the earth and the light of the world that he's calling us to be. Do these things even daily, and we will find ourselves standing on the shoulders of the apostles, the saints, and the martyrs who have inspired the church throughout the ages because they made their decision for Jesus. 
to stand up, to stand out, to speak up and to speak out for nothing less than the salvation of the world. Friends, this spiritual warfare that I'm talking about, it hits all of us, every one of us in one way or another. Not just me, not just my family, every single one of us is affected by it. Since 1973, 65 million babies have been aborted. That is the current size of the states of California and Texas combined. That's like wiping out California and Texas off the map right now. Right now we are making a mockery of God's design for family and parenting by legalizing same-sex marriage. And to top it off, we're now legalizing the recreational use of marijuana to keep us messed up in the head while we're making these decisions and making these laws. I'm sure that it's no coincidence that after I wrote this sermon, I received three different calls this week having to do with spiritual warfare, all with people under the age of 25 years old. Can't you see the devil is trying to ruin us and our children, to tear us apart and to tear down our nation? And I'm not just dissatisfied with it, I'm disgusted by it. I'm sick and tired of the devil winning any battle. So I'm telling you, I'm in. I'm in. I'm all in. My personal prayer right now is that I'm asking God to do whatever it takes in me to light a fire for Jesus Christ. That's, that's what I'm asking God right now. It's got, it's got to start in each one of us. I'm asking God to light that, to do whatever it takes to light that fire in me. And why? Because it's pretty simple. If you never knew it before, comfortable, complacent, contented Christianity is not going to get it done. It never has, and it never will. So if you're all in, if you want God to fan this flame of revival in your heart, in this congregation, and in our nation, then you know what to do. Make your decision, no turning back, no turning back. Follow the plan that God has in mind that I've talked about today, and as you do, know this. You inherit a promise. Not a promise from me. A promise from God Almighty Self himself. The promise that as you and I step out in faith to wage war, to go on the offensive, to attack the world, the flesh, and the devil, the promise is that he will be with you always, even to the end of the age. And for your encouragement, I want to leave you with the powerful poetry of one of my favorite hymns that's been pounding in my ear all week long. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord. It's laid up for you in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he has said, to you that for refuge to Jesus hath fled.
Fear not, I am with you, O be not dismayed, for I am thy God and I will give thee aid. I'll strengthen thee, help thee, and cause thee to stand, upheld by my righteous omnipotent hand. When through the deep waters I call thee to go, the rivers of woe shall not thee overflow. For I will be with thee thy troubles to bless and sanctify to thee thy deepest distress. When through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, my grace all sufficient shall be thy supply. The flames shall not hurt thee, I only design thy dross to consume and thy gold to refine. The soul that to Jesus hath fled for repose, I will not, I will not desert to its foes. That soul, though all hell shall endeavor to shake, I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. To God be the glory now and forever.